Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. And before I say anything else, some of you are going, oh my gosh, what happened to his eye? <laughs> um, I got in a fight. Um, I, I didn't. For those of you like, it's my first time, who's this guy? Um, sorry. Uh, yesterday, as I was going through my day, um, my eye started burning the skin around there. So I'm like, oh my gosh, tomorrow I've got to get under lights in front of a camera. What on earth am I going to do? So I called a nurse and she was like, what, what happened? <laughs> and apparently, because we did some yard work on Friday and apparently we burned some leaves, there might have been some allergen or something that got stuck on my face and made me look like this. So I apologize. I did think of doing the whole message like this, um, but I, I, that may be more awkward, so um, I, I'm sorry <laughs> now that I've acknowledged it. Let's move on. <laughs> uh, we're starting a brand new series today, which I'm really excited about. It's called uh, Why My Eye... No, it's, 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 it's not. We're starting a brand new series today called Me, Myself, and Why. Me, Myself, and Why. And I'm really excited about this. We're going to be talking about some things things that um, I've been thinking about and wrestling with and struggling with for years and years and years. I've, I've, I've looked at it on so many different levels and different ways of talking about it. The stuff that we're going to be talking about is something that's impacted me in some really incredible ways, some good ways and some bad ways. Uh, it's impacted my career, my leadership. It's impacted my faith. It's impacted my marriage. It's impacted my parenting. In fact, it's impacted all of my relationships. It's something that I've bumped into in everyday life. Um, it's helped me understand myself. It's helped me understand other people. It's helped me understand my wife, my kids, my faith better. And then as a result, um, it's something that I've been interested in and thinking about for years and, and in preparation for the series, I've also spent a lot of time reading and studying and getting ready to talk about this. And obviously, I don't think it's just something that impacts me. I think it's something that impacts all of us. So I really am excited to dive into this and just spend a little bit of time having conversations about this idea that we're going to look at, perhaps opening this for the first time or reopening it and looking at it and exploring some of this, because I think and I hope that if we wrestle with the ideas that we're gonna look at in this series, if we wrestle with this and allow it to impact us, it has the potential to influence everything we do. And here's, here's why. Because right in the middle of all of our worlds, right in the middle of your world, right in the middle of my world is this person that we call me. Right in the middle of our world is the person that we, called, we call me. And, and, and who we are, how we relate, how we think, how we do, how we speak, how we define ourselves impacts every single thing that we do in our lives. And so we thought it would be cool to just try and take some time and explore this idea of me, myself, and why on earth is it like that? Me, myself, and why. And so what I wanna do today is I just wanna introduce the big idea of this message and of this series and, and kind of open up some things to start talking talking about me, myself, and why, and get on the same page as we move into this for the next few weeks. So, so to kind of kick us off and get us on the same page, let me, let me say this. We as humans, we as people, have an obvious fascination with ourselves. <laughs> we, we, we like to think about ourselves. We've got this obvious fascination with ourselves. And, and here's the reality. Uh, we are very focused on ourselves, right? Right? 
We're very, very, I'm very focused on me. <laughs> and you're very, very focused on you. We can't help it. It just is. The reality is we see life through our eyes, even when they look like this. We see, we hear life through our ears. I don't hear life through how you hear it. I hear life through how I hear it. We feel life through our emotions. We think about it in our mind, through our perspectives, uh, which means that every single relationship relationship, every single decision, every single thought, every emotion that we have is defined by who? By me. Not me for you, but you for you, me for me. It's defined by me and my thoughts and how something affects me and how it makes me feel and how I want things and how I hope for things. It's all revolving around me. And that reality impacts how we do life and how we relate and how we see life. It impacts our faith. It impacts everything we do. And sometimes that goes really well, right? And sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> and sometimes we feel really good about ourselves. And sometimes we don't. And sometimes we understand where things come from on the inside of us and around us. And sometimes we understand where things come from in other people. And sometimes we don't. And so literally throughout history, we've always been fascinated. People have always been fascinated with trying to figure out me, myself, and why? Why am I like that? What do I do? We've tried to understand ourselves and know ourselves better. We've tried to understand other people and know them better. I mean, there's sociology and psychology and all these things come in to try and understand, and that's on a global sense, but individually, we do this all the time as well, trying to understand people who, you know, ourselves, and another thing we try to understand is, why are other people not like me? Why don't they just think like I think? Because the way I think is really cool, right? We all think that. Why don't they do it like I do it? Because this is the best way to do it, right? We've all thought that. Why, why do you feel that way when I say these words? Don't you understand me? <laughs> why don't you just do it the way I do it? We'll all be happier if we just did that, right? <laughs> we kind of think that. You see this in marriage a whole bunch. You know that idea of opposites attract? When you're dating, it's like, oh, he's so awesome. She's so awesome. And it's fun and exciting. And they're, wow, it's just so attractive. And opposites attract. And then you get married. And you actually have to live with the person and be with the person who's completely different from you. And then you bump into this. And it's like, oh, my gosh, why can't he just do it the way I do it? Why can't she just do it the way I do it? Doesn't he understand? Doesn't she understand? When my wife and I first got married, whew, we bumped into this big time. <laughs> we discovered we are so different. In fact, we took some of these personality assessments and personality tests, and we literally, I mean, we can show you the papers. <laughs> we literally landed on the opposite end of all of them. And it was like, oh my gosh, she thought differently than I think. She does differently than I do. She talks differently than I talk. Everything, the way she assimilates information, the way she makes decisions, all completely different. I remember a conversation we had. I still see the moment. I remember us literally saying, we use a different language. <laughs> and we don't really 
But it felt like that because we're so different and, and, and it was so huge. And for six years, for six years, it was so tough to try and figure out how to do that. And, and I was a Christian and a pastor at that stage as well and I had no idea how to handle that. I didn't understand or see the beauty of the difference, see the power in the difference. And I didn't understand that perhaps God had made me one way and made her another way for a reason. And perhaps if we could understand how to see ourselves and how to see each other, that it could be an incredibly beautiful thing when two completely different people, and perhaps we could get to that, that, that joy of opposites attracting again. But when you get, if you've been married for any length of time, my guess is you've bumped into this. And if you're engaged, beware. <laughs> it's coming because we're different. And that's something so crazy. And who do we normally focus on? Me, myself. <laughs> and then we're eventually gonna ask that question, why? And here's why, here's why. Because the reality is, that the center of my world is me. The center of your world is you. Not intentionally, but it just is. And because I thought the only way of thinking was my way of thinking, and because I defined myself and my relationship with her by me and my ways, and I didn't fully understand me even or understand her, all the differences, it was hard. And it was hard until we began to recognize and discover some of the things that we're gonna look at in this series. And with a lot of help from God, we really needed that, and a lot of help from people around us who loved us and could see and help us figure ourselves out out and help us figure relationships out, we began to apply some of the stuff that we're talking about in the series. And eventually we discovered and began to really enjoy the beauty of who God made me and who God made her. And we began to enjoy and see the fulfillment that can come when we not, we, we don't only get irritated by the differences, but when we began to celebrate those differences. And when we allowed something other than me and other than her to define us. When we began to realize that there's something other than me and her that can define us, it changed everything. And so some of the things that we began to discover are things that um, people have been studying for like literally 2,500 years because people like we've just talking about, people throughout history are people. We're people, and so we bump into questions around me, myself, and why all the time. <clears throat> One of the, uh, just to kind of go back in the history of the study of us and ourselves and, and, and people and who we are and why we do what we do, there's been studies done for thousands of years on our temperaments and our personalities and our strengths and our, all of that stuff. And over the last few decades, I don't know if you've noticed this, maybe you have, maybe you've done every personality test known to man, maybe you've done and you're irritated by them. But the reality is, over two and a half thousand years, this has been something, starting with Hippocrates. I don't know if you know this, but Hippocrates, the father of medicine, you've heard of the Hippocratic Oath that all medical people have to take. Um, that's from Hippocrates. And he discovered four different sort of temperaments. And he kind of started the groundwork on some of that. That was developed by other philosophers and other thinkers and other people. But, but he discovered this two and a half thousand years ago that there's four different basic types of people. Choleric, and when I first heard 
heard these words, I was like, I don't understand one of these words. So if you don't understand it, you can look it up, but we're not gonna go too deep in it. But he discovered choleric, uh, melancholy, sanguine, and phlegmatic personality types. And he said, that's kind of a basic wiring that you do. Recently, many tests and assessments and courses and understandings have been made around that. If you've heard of the DISC profile, that's based on Hippocrates' uh, original stuff. If you've heard of the color profile, I'm a red, I'm a green, I'm a yellow, I'm a blue, anybody? Yeah, some nods, yes, you've seen that. Other you're like, nope, none of nothing. <laughs> that stuff is also based on that Hippocratic, um, the Hippocrates studies. Um, then there's many other of these uh, personality assessments and things that go around. There's Myers-Briggs, there's Right Path, there's Strength Finders, there's the Big Five, the Enneagram, and let's not forget that really important one that's also blown up recently, the, the test that can tell you which house you would be in in the Harry Potter world. Um, Gryffindor or Ravenclaw or Hufflepuff or, you know, Know, Slytherin? Yeah, no, you don't want to be on that one. Um, but maybe you are, sorry. Um, <laughs> the reality is these assessments are all over the place. And they're there because we're fascinated by ourselves. And what people have discovered is if you can discover self-awareness, if you can discover who you are, what motivates you, what are the giftings, what is the personality types, what, how do you communicate, what words mean what to you, if you can discover that, understanding your wiring, it's really helpful. It's really helpful in marriage, even in faith, in relationships, and professionally, it's really helpful. And I don't know if you know this, but it's also biblical. It's also something that you discover in Christianity. In fact, there are three, a few more maybe, but three primary whole chapters in the Bible that talk about the different giftings, the different personalities, the different motivations of who we are. And we're gonna look at some of these scriptures and talk about what does it mean? How does God see this? Does God care? Did he do this? Is he responsible for some of this stuff? And we're gonna talk about how that looks. I wanna give you a quick snippet, um, a verse from each of these primary chapters that talk about giftings and personalities. Uh, in Romans chapter 12, verse six, we see one of the first ones. It says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. And we'll get into this a little bit more a little later, but we have different gifts. We're different people, we're different personalities. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12 verse four, 1 Corinthians 12 is a massive uh, chapter about all the stuff, but it says in there, there are different kinds of gifts. There are different kinds of service. There are different kinds of working. And then the last one I'll show you now is from Ephesians four, and it's in the context of talking about how um, God is involved in, in giving different people different abilities and strengths. And then he says this, but to each one of you, Ephesians four verse seven, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And he's not talking about you know, grace you know, to forgive and all that stuff. This is different. It's talking about how he equips, how he designs, how he makes different people. So trying to understand me, myself, and why is not just a human fascination that's been going around for two and a half thousand years and has blown up a bunch in the last few decades. This is something biblical. And I think, I think if we can understand ourselves, if we can see where does that come from? Why am I more drawn to this and less drawn to that? Why are you that way? Why do you act that way? Why do you do that? We can have more compassion on others, we can understand ourselves, we can relate better, and we may be able to find a more meaningful way of living our lives and 
relating. Last thing I want to say in, in, in this sort of portion of where we're going today is this, this uh, article I read the other day it sort of explains a lot of these ideas in it. It says this, according to uh, Peter Guber, Mandalay Entertainment CEO and New York Times best-selling author, <clears throat> he says this, being self-aware is the most important skill to have in the workplace. Hubert, who defines self-awareness as the conscious knowledge of one's own character, feelings, motives, and desires, attempts to explain how getting to know your strengths and your weaknesses, your interests, motives, work styles, values, and behavioral characteristics can help you become a successful professional. But beyond the career realm, self-awareness is also key to leading a more fulfilling life, he says. Essentially, knowing what you are capable of is crucial in order to be equally successful in every aspect of your life and work. And the article continues and says, and that is what personality tests are for. <laughs> to assess your behavior and habits and provide you with a better image of yourself and hopefully help you make strategic decisions. And that's kind of what all these personality tests say in one form or another. If you discover this, it can help you. So for literally thousands of years, people have talked about this. Millions of books have been written. Famous psychiatrists and psychoanalysts have spent their life uh, researching and writing and speaking about this from Sigmund Freud to Carl Jung and they've studied and spoken how that's impacted psychology and sociology and all that stuff. High schools, colleges, graduate schools use these assessments to help people understand themselves. Businesses use this personality assessments to, in their hiring processes. I found out as well that medical schools have administered a version of the Myers-Briggs assessment since the 50s to try and help people understand. This is huge, all over the place. More than two million people every year take the Myers-Briggs assessment alone, and that's just one. There's all these others, and millions of people doing it all the time. And then recently, there's been a massive rise of popularity uh, uh, for the Enneagram, which is another personality definer or, or, or assessment as you do it. And finally, Kathleen Edelman, a woman who, who wrote the book called I Said This, You Heard That. Uh, she describes using the temperaments, um, describes sort of how people speak and hear and how they relate. She says this, by you understanding your authentic wiring, you will become the very best version of yourself. And so in our world today, uh, even if you haven't bumped into it yet, my guess is you will. Maybe you've taken all the assessments and you're on this kick to try and discover who you are. Maybe you've done one and you looked at it and said, wow, that's crazy, I don't like it, but whoa, that's crazy. Maybe you've done a bunch. Maybe you've never done any of them. But the reality is, understanding ourselves, understanding who we are, understanding others really does help us. And that has sort of exploded into this huge, where can I take an assessment? How do I understand? And, 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 and that comes with some dangers as well. And so I want to talk about some of the dangers as well, because sometimes when we do this, and when we focus on me, myself, and why, we, 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 we get so focused on ourselves and so focused on this that we miss out on other things. So I just want to say, um, in, in setting up the series, that there are some dangers with these assessments as well. I actually spoke to two psychologists who attend our church this week, and I asked them about what they think about some of these things, some of these assessments, some of these things, especially the ones you can just do online that aren't sort of certified and backed up by some things, and they said that these assessments are not always the best things to do. They're imperfect, 
And sometimes they'll give you, you know, wrong information or define you in a wrong way, partly because they are self-reporting assessments, which means that we are always gonna say what we think, how we think, and may not get over our lack of self-awareness. As I'm trying to find self-awareness, I'm giving my picture of me to explain me, and then we might say what we want to hear, not what we should hear. And so they say there's imperfections in that. Industrial psychology and organizational psychology has done a lot of research on how personality assessments used in the workplace can or cannot predict employee performance. And what they found in one of their big studies is that they only had a 0.13 validity level in using some of these personality tests to predict employee um, performance. And so they're going, eh, there's way better other ways to do this. They still use it, but they don't use it as strongly as some people do. And then, oh gosh, this one is a huge one for me. I wanna tell you a story about how this impacted me. But sometimes these assessments or these, this is who you are, find out who you are. This is the best description of you ever. Sometimes they are preached so strongly and so adamantly and backed up scientifically and said that this is the gospel of knowing you. Sometimes they're preached so strong that they have the ability to put you in a box and keep you from being who you really are. My first interaction with one of these personality assessments was, uh, happened at a church. When I was 16 or 17 years old, I went with my mom and we did this spiritual gifts course is what they called it, or the motivational gifts course. And they said, you can find out who you are and you'll find more fulfillment and it'll be great, you can do that. And they based it on one of these chapters in the Bible, in Romans chapter 12. So let me read you the verses that they base this on, but they describe that these are our basic motivations, who we are, why God has done this in our lives, and they, they said this. Romans chapter 12, verse six says, we have different gifts. We read this earlier. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. And then it continues, and it says seven different motivational spiritual gifts. It says, if your gift is prophesying, and they describe that prophesying not like an Old Testament prophet with a long beard standing on a mountain, but they describe that by saying, this is the, these are the people who are perceptive. They're perceiving type people, intuitive people. And so if your gift is that, then prophesy or use it in accordance with your faith. It continued. It said, if it is serving, if your gift is serving, then... <clears throat> Um, uh, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach all these different motivations. If you, that's what you love to do, if that's who you are, then do it. If it is to encourage, if you're an encouraging person, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. And if it is to lead, then do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, then do that cheerfully. And they described how all of these things point to an internal motivation that each of us has. And if you live out these things, you will find fulfillment and you'll be your best self. And after teaching that and saying, this is it, we did the assessment. And there I am doing my little assessment, finding out who I am. This is going to be great, who I am. And my mom's next to me, she's doing that. And then we got the results. And what happened was my mom's results came back and she had three, or b before I say this part, sorry, um, they described that of these seven sort of motivations or gifts, four of them are sort of external, strong leadership type gifts. Uh, the, the perceiving and the teaching and the encouraging and the leading. And if you have those, you'll likely be a leader and people will follow you. And three of them are more background, behind the scenes, support, kind of softer gifts, serving and giving and mercy. And that's when we did the test. 
And my mom next to me, she got her results and she was like, three of the four strong, outgoing, leader-type gifts. Wow, inspiring. And I got mine back and I was all three of the weak gifts. <laughs> and what happened at that moment when I was 16, 17 years old is I went, oh, I'll never be a leader. I'll never be able to lead anyone <laughs> because God hasn't made me that way. And I put myself in a box and they put me in a box. That, 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 that's so weird because if you think about Jesus, he was the most serving, compassionate, merciful, giving person this world has ever seen and he changed the whole world. And some of the greatest leaders that we admire the most are servant leaders. And yet somehow this was talked about and preached about and presented in a way that if you have these things, sorry, you just have to kind of stay in the background and serve and do all those things. And so I was put in a box. And the danger of that, and this may have happened to you or, or, or others, and the danger of these assessments is that somehow we go, oh my gosh, that's who I am. And some paper, some assessment tells me who I am. It's, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. And I think can sometimes keep us back from being who we are and who we're meant to be because of that. Another danger that comes uh, when we take so much time to focus on me, myself, and why is that we could end up only focusing on me, myself, and I. Because we're always going, well, who am I? What am I? What are my giftings? What am I this? And we just focus so much on that that eventually it just becomes about me. And we don't focus. We focus on my needs, my personality, my ways. And this happens in marriage. But I'm just that. And I want to do that. That we sometimes don't focus on the other person. Now, most of the times these assessments speak about the fact that, hey, Yes, know yourself, but also know others, because if you can know them too, it creates a compassion and an understanding and a way to relate well to each other. And so, so, so sometimes doing all this me, myself, and why focus, we end up focusing on me, myself, and I, and skip focusing on other people. And another danger, if you're a Christian, is that sometimes focusing on this so much pulls our attention and our focus away from who God is and what he has asked us to do and who he has asked us to be. And it becomes the most important and most defining factor of who I am and who God says I am and what God says about me and what Christianity teaches about me is shoved to the side. It's another danger about going, oh my gosh, this is the best thing ever. And that can sometimes lead to um, us living out unhealthy behaviors just because that's who I am. Because if I focus on me and my test says this about me, this is just a natural weakness of me. And it could lead to a blue melancholy one on the Enneagram saying something like, I just wanna do it right. I just wanna be right, so I'm gonna be critical. Sorry, it's just who I am. Or a, a red choleric eight might say, well, I'm just challenging. Sorry, it's, it's my nature. It's just who I am, deal with it. Or, or, or a green phlegmatic nine may say something like this, I just take a really long time to make decisions. Oh well, it's who I am, deal with it. Or a yellow sanguine seven might say something like this, well I'm just a verbal processor. I'm sorry if I talk too much, deal with it. It's just who I am. And so we end up, because our little box tells us that this is who we are, and some tests that some people have made up tell you this is who you are, that eventually we may excuse unhealthy behavior in relationships, 
in work, in life, in our relationship with God, because hey, it's who I, it's who God made me. It's his fault. <laughs> it's just who I am. But but while Christianity clearly talks about the, the, the benefit of self-awareness, the importance of self-awareness, and Christianity really does talk about different people, different giftings, different motivations, different styles, it definitely does that. And it talks about how all these different parts can make up a beautiful whole, and understanding our parts, and we'll talk about this, but understanding our parts can help create something so beautiful when we come together. It never, ever, ever says, Christianity teaches, the scripture never, ever, ever says that we should be defined by our number, our color, our type, or our temperament. It always calls us to be defined by something way more beautiful, way more powerful, way more significant. Christianity always calls us to be defined by Jesus. And if we were defined by him, wouldn't that be so beautiful. Yes, we'd be yellow or red or blue or green tainted a bit because that's who we are. And we're not Jesus. We can never be this perfect person, but we are called to be defined by him. And it's all over scripture. It talks about it all over the place. One of my favorite verses that, that says this so powerfully and so passionately is something written by the Apostle Paul who wrote letters to, to people around the known world so that he could explain Christianity to them. And he's the guy that literally wrote all three of these chapters that talk about different personalities, different giftings, different people, different parts. And then he says this in Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. It's a beautiful, beautiful description of, I think, what Christianity calls us. No matter if you believe blue, green, yellow, or red, no matter what number you are on the Enneagram, no matter what disc profile or anything you are, Paul says this about the people he was writing to, and by implication, about you and about me. This is what he says, Galatians 4.19. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth, he was passionate about this, right? Ladies, um, if he uses that illustration, he better be very passionate about it, right? He's so passionate about this. And he says, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth, why? Until Christ is formed in you. Until Christ is formed in you. Paul was adamant. You know what I want to define you? You know what should define us? Christ. That we would be defined by Christ. And it's not just that we should try and be like Christ. He uses that, that idea that Christ will be formed in you. Christianity goes so much further than, hey, you know, Jesus' example is that just try to be like him and then everything will be great. No, no, no. It goes way further than that. Christianity teaches that when I trust what Jesus has done for me, when I understand who he is and I trust him, and when I surrender my life to him, Christianity teaches that he enters our lives. His spirit is placed inside of us. And it doesn't matter if you're blue, green, red, or yellow, or what number you are, his spirit is placed inside of us and begins to define and form who we are. We've read this verse several times, but there's a verse that talks about the fruit of that spirit, that we may be defined by him and by 
his life, by his love, by his peace, by his joy, by his patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And that's what Paul calls us to. He says, hey, no, 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 no. I know we all wanna know who we are. We all wanna know how to live. We all wanna know how to do that. And yes, there are different parts and different personalities and different styles and all that different giftings and you're only a part, but, but this is what I want. This is what we need, that Christ will be formed in you and you will be more defined by Christ than by your color, (laughs) than by your type than by your number, than by your disc profile, than which Harry Potter house you're in. (laughs) That you'll be more defined by Christ. There's another verse that is just so, so, so cool. In Galatians 2 verse 20, it's such a beautiful verse. We've looked at it this year even, I think. It's a beautiful verse that, that brings this into perspective and it says this, I have been crucified with Christ. I, me, myself, and I, no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That as Christians, yes, I am me and I am red or green or blue or yellow and I am this and I am this and those things are really important and yes, they help me understand me and relationships and they're really, really good. Please don't hear me saying these are not good things. But that, yes, that is who I am, but there is a higher definer of me. There is a deeper primary definer of who I am and it's not me. It is Christ. And while I live this life and relate to others and think and do, it's going to go through me, but the definer of me is Christ. And I wanna live my life with him being formed in me, defined in me. Now, if you're not a Christian, you're hearing like his spirit is in us and all that stuff, that may be a little weird and I get that. But let me ask you, wouldn't it be cool if more Christians acted like Christ? I mean, he was the supreme example of humility and strength and courage and, and, and serving and giving and compassion and all these things and encouragement and perceptive. He was the best example of those things. And wouldn't it be cool if the church and if Christians and if we were defined by him? So while... Um, I believe understanding ourselves and understanding our personalities and temperaments is so important and I would encourage you to do those things. I literally have probably done all of, no, no, not all of them. I've done a whole bunch of them and they've been helpful and they've helped me. It wasn't just a negative experience that I had when I was 16 and 17. I've done some of this in seminary, which is graduate school for church. I mean, I've done all this stuff. I've I've studied myself. And it has helped my marriage. It has helped my my relationships. It has helped my faith even. So I would encourage you, yes, do these things. Become self-aware. Understand yourself. We're not gonna dive too deep in that because other people have done a way better job than I can on these things. But I would encourage you, let's understand ourselves. But, But there is something more that should define us. Above my color, above my type, above my number, there is something more that should be formed in me. And perhaps, perhaps if I can suggest this, that we would use these assessments, these definitions of ourselves, maybe as a starting point. Maybe as a starting point that can help us understand ourselves better. 
that can help us understand others better, a starting point for how we can serve others better, a starting point for how we can be more like Jesus, a starting point for how we can be a part of the whole that helps things move forward and is, is, uh, can be much better than it is when just one of us does it, a starting point to under, understand ourselves and give grace and compassion to others, a starting point to allowing God to make us into the best version of me, because as long as we live, the best version of me is going to be different from the best version of you, but my gosh, if we can can be defined by him, it'll look more like Jesus in our unique way. A starting point that can help us grow, and maybe even a gate that can open the door to help us understand ourselves and how we can move forward and allow Christ to be formed in us. There's one more uh, quote I wanna read here, um, and it's actually written by one of the most profound and significant teachers and authors of the Enneagram. And he, he says it so beautifully, he says this, if there is a single overriding theme in our interpretation of the Enneagram, it is the need to acknowledge and understand our inner states so that we can begin to move beyond them. When I read that, I'm like, oh my word, there it is. To understand our inner states so that we can begin to move beyond them. He says this, self-understanding is the prelude to transformation, to moving beyond the ego. Transcending the ego is the gate to every spiritual path. And the Enneagram shows each type and therefore each of us as individuals, it shows all of us what that gate is and how to pass through it. I love that. He says, the goal of this understanding of ourselves is to move beyond ourselves. The goal of understanding ourselves is to move beyond the ego because that ego is what gets us and keeps us being in an unhealthy version of ourselves. But when we can, we'll talk about this, begin to surrender that, we can become the best version of ourselves, the version God intended us to be and the version we want to be. But if we're defined by our personality, our type, our number, our color, rather than defined by Jesus, I believe we will fall short of who we wanna be, of who he wants us to be, of who we were meant to be, and who God made us to be. And I believe we will settle for, for a lesser form of ourselves and in our relationships, and perhaps even, if you will, of our calling. But if we're primarily defined by Christ, there's no way we can miss out on who we were meant to be. And then we can all, man, imagine, we could all become. Imagine marriages where we are so surrendered to him that we're the best version of ourselves, the healthiest version of ourselves, the growing version of ourselves. When we allow ourselves to be defined by Christ, informed by all these other things, but defined by Christ. To end, uh, and to kind of give us a hint and a prelude to where we're going next week, I wanna read you one quick final verse. And this little verse is literally, it, it comes at the end of one of the chapters that Paul spends a whole chapter talking about different gifts and different styles and different parts. And he's emphasizing that so strongly and the importance of that and coming together and being you and being you and being you and how that all works together. And after discussing that in depth, he says these words, and they're so powerful. He says this. After discussing all that, he says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 31, and yet I will show you the most excellent way.
Yes, there's all these different parts and giftings and personalities, but hold on. There is a more excellent way. According to Paul, who explained the differences of people, he said, "Mm -mm, yes, understand, let that inform, but there is a more excellent way. But that's where I'm gonna leave us for today. Next week, come back and we'll talk about what that more excellent way looks like. And I hope, I hope, I hope this will be a fun exploration of me, myself, and why, and we'll discover how to define ourselves and how best to define ourselves as we explore ourselves. Let me pray for us, and then we'll head out. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the beauty and the creativity of who you are. Thank you that none of us is the same as another. Thank you so much for the individual giftings and personalities and temperaments that you've given us. Father, we're so grateful. And Father, I pray in this next few weeks that we'll journey through this and discover, me, myself, and why, but we'll discover more than that. We'll discover who you call us to be and discover how to live that out to the best of our ability and with your help. Thank you so much for who you are, for loving us in our mess, in our weaknesses of who we are and drawing us into the best versions of who we can be defined by who Christ is. In Jesus' name, amen.